he would have said, look, don't do it. Um, I don't suggest it at all because as soon as you take out the rods, you're going to turn into what you were before. Then I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do this. Which, which, how bad was your scoliosis? 56 degree curve. What is that? Oh, so wow. you can imagine. Golly. Like, yeah, 45 degree curve, 56 degrees. Um, and then there was like another. So what the back does, what the spine does is it compensates. Um, so if you have one big curve, you're going to have another lesser curve um, to compensate. compensate for that stuff because it wants to stay straight. It wants your wants your brain to be as straight as possible. Like yeah. You're not going to walk around and you're, yeah, you're just, you're not, you might do that if it's worse enough, but um, it's going to do its best. Kind of like, like how a plant always grows toward the sunlight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, no matter what, it's going to fight to grow that way. So I had actually like three different curves, but some were lesser than others. Um, so yeah, 56, 45, and like another 20 or something. So how long have you had rods in your back? Five years, five years in December. What, what did they do for, what did you do for scoliosis before then? Nothing. I didn't realize I even had it till eighth grade. What you can do is go to chiropractic care apparently, cause my cousin also has it or had it, but he hit a chiropractor really hard up in Montana and it straightened it out. And probably early enough. You yeah. You have to go early enough. Yeah, early enough. Um, so you didn't know you had it until eighth grade. What did you do between eighth grade and five years ago? Just kept an eye on it, which was, I mean, we got the wrong wisdom. Of course, we went to a back doctor who doesn't know anything about chiropractic or anything like that. It's no, just no, no, no. Rods are bust. Oh, I see. And I so see. we just kept an eye on it. Got a different doctor in the meantime. And, um, uh, which is my doctor now, great doctor for what he does. Um, then we realized, Hey, long-term, the point that I'm at would not be good long-term, uh, because long having the, having the rods in, well, no, no, no. Having scoliosis like I did. Oh, I see. I so see. it's like, well, what's life going to be like when I'm 60? So what, so what made you go to this this doctor five years ago you have a back pain or no i mean we well um i started lifting weights really hard and so my muscles started to form around my back and stuff in such a way where it really seemed like it was worse right that's when we started seriously asking questions about longevity um what life will be like four decades from now if if we don't get this fixed and went to the doctor and was like, yeah, I mean, you probably should have surgery. So had surgery then, um, and it was great. I'm glad I did have the surgery. So what I'm doing in this next surgery is not undoing everything I did in the first surgery. Right. It's kind of like getting your braces off. Right. And and that's how he put it. It's like the doctor even said this when I talked to him about getting them removed back in September. He said, um, it's kind of like having a retainer. A dentist will always will tell you to always wear it for the rest of your life, but nobody does, and then nothing happens. It's yeah. fine. Which yeah. I can speak for that too. I mean, I didn't wear my retainer more, and nothing happened. Uh, but my, my orthodontist knew I wouldn't. He permanently. <laughs> I've got permanent retainers. In my, no way. Yeah. What? I've got uh, metal on the inside of both of my top teeth and bottom. You should do research on metal in the mouth. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm. I'm. Well, I'm trying to turn into Iron Man. <laughs> uh, I am Iron Man. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I. As far again, so why he didn't want to do the surgery had nothing to do with that. So I checked. You know, am I going to go back to how it was? And he's like, no. And it's like, well, I mean, is there any chance that I can have another slight or a curve in my bot in my back? And he said, I mean, there's a slight chance. Like, is it going to be a big curve? Like, no, not at all. So my back is straight. The first surgery did what it needed to do. Um, but it's like if I can have the best of both worlds. Yeah. And have a straight back and not have this metal in my body, then, you know, sign me up. Because I still feel the rods. Like, imagine feeling s screws in your spine. 
in your skin as you're turning. I feel it. I've felt it for the past five years. That's, that's odd. Yeah, there's never been a day where it's like, I don't even notice that they're there. No, I notice that they're there. That's odd. And there's limited mobility. So anyways, two weeks from yesterday, I'm having that surgery. Wow. Yeah. But it'll be good. Looking forward to it, which is why I wanted to kind of squeeze in another Classic Cast episode. Yeah, because you'll be recovering from surgery for probably yeah yeah so maybe so or it may not kick me out at all who knows no i'm glad to i'm glad to be back i'm glad we're doing it honestly i missed it really yeah missed it and it got me out of for two reasons one it's fun the second one is it got me out of my routine and that's that's never good for me no no if i get out of my routine man uh like little things just throw me off. And so uh yeah, glad to be back. And GBC getting a new building has thrown you way off of your Oh, routine, way sure. way off, man. This morning I well cuz I moved my office from here over to the new GBC building. And so all my stuff got, you know, thrown in boxes, moved around, whatever, placed over there. And then the Saturday, so I have a little temporary office set up over there because uh, you know we're doing all the renovations and so I've got a little temporary office set up there it's like uh, my desk bunch of stuff in boxes and then this table that basically just gets stuff thrown on it all day and uh, j- just a catch all table but it's like but it's one of these you know, like the old school uh, folding tables that are like the, uh, the it's wood, but it's not like a solid piece of wood. It's like sawdust that they've compounded together yeah. to make like the church folding table. And it's like God awful heavy. Yeah. Well, they took those and cut them in half. Uh, so it's half of one of those tables. It's not a sorry. It's not a folding table. It has four legs, but they cut it in half down the middle and then put two more legs on it. So it's, it's like a skinny one. I know it's so weird. What in the uh, world? I know it's so weird. But those were the, they kind of had it set up where you could put them together and it'd be a normal table, or you could break it apart and it'd be a mini like a skinny table. In one of these rooms that they left, like four or five of these tables. So I'm using one of those. It's just a catch-all. I, it was kind of just an organized chaos, but then we had the work day on Saturday, and all that got moved so that they could pull out the carpet, and now I don't know where anything is. Mm. But I found the SD card, thankfully, and um, yeah. So it's like, okay, your routine was really bad, thrown off. How about we throw it off even more? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hide the stuff that was hidden. Yeah, let's, yeah. I mean, just everything's everything's just moved. Uh, nothing's in quick action. Quick, uh, you know. Oh yeah, that's right where it's supposed to be. Let me grab it. You yeah. know, grab it and go. And I wasn't even thinking. Uh, I did not mentally prepare for this today. Uh, I wasn't even thinking that. Oh yeah, the SD card is at the church until I got up this morning because mm. I'm just used to it being here, showing up popping it in yeah. all right let's roll but we hadn't done this since i moved over to the church building yeah but anyway this episode would be a good dry fire as you called it yeah the question is are they going to use continue to use this room that we're in right now well uh yeah what's what's actually happening is pretty exciting in so, this room yeah exciting for us they're turning into a studio like that's going to be like that. Those flooring pieces they're trying out. I think they're going to mount it to this wall. The flooring pieces. Yeah. It's going to look like a, just like a wood backdrop. And then oh. they got this legit logo, um, that they're going to mount on this, on this wall here. Uh, there's going to be lighting set up. There's two, look at those two Sony cameras right there. Oh wow. They're just going to be set up in here. And so once they're done, you and I can come in here and just press record on the roadcaster here, hit record on the cameras, turn on the lights, and go. So to our classic cast audience, I just figured this out. 
stay tuned because we're going to be having some video coming out. Well, that's probably a discussion we should have because we're still going to be doing these at 5 a.m. I'm going to, I'm, well, I guess I don't have to, but I'll just come in my hoodie like I usually do at 5. No, 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 no. Three piece suits. <laughs> Let's do three piece suits. Yeah, I don't, Which, I don't know if the world wants to see me at 5 a.m. On top of that, though, my ch- my schedule may be changing first part of the year. So, you know, if we're talking next few months, we could hypothetically do this 7 a.m. We come in with three-piece suits every single time. Three-piece suits and sneakers. Having a classic <laughs> cast episode. Yeah. I like the idea. But, yeah, so that's, what, that's why the room was locked. That's another thing. We had to find a key to get into the room. Uh, and that's why this room is a mess. Yeah. It's being worked on. It's a mess, but we got the road, we got the headphones, and then we got the Pilgrim's Progress in our possession as well, that's which is all that matters. That's what matters. None of the listeners can see any of this yet, which, is this your Bible? Did you bring your Bible today? No, no, I, th- I thought that was yours. No, I guess you were, I thought, I was guessing that you had gotten fired up about this week's chapter or something like that, which... Let's jump into it. This chapter is my favorite chapter of the book. Chapter 6 of Pilgrim's Progress. You said that like twice already. What? This is my favorite chapter of the book. No, I said that. <laughs> no, I said I said that this is my favorite chapter um so far the last episode. And it's not going to be my last time, which I said that the last episode. I don't think I've said it twice today. I could have but I'm going to say it more either way, so I'm not avoiding repetition. This is, I believe, the best chapter in the book, but that's a matter of preference. Um, so chapter six, he's past oh, yeah. talkative. Um, we're coming up to Vanity Fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read, so I read this section in a, in a different book. And so I um, wasn't actually sure what chapter six covered. Uh, but yeah, Vanity Fair. Um, Vanity Fair, which I, I preached from Jude 5 through 16 a few months ago. And the title of the sermon was The Church Near Vanity Fair. And I did a spinoff from it. What happens when not when the Wait, church did is... Did you preach that on Sunday night? Or no, when, no, no, no. It Wednesday? was in Mississippi. Different church. So there was a spinoff. What happens when Vanity Fair comes to the church? And you see that in the book of Jude, people sneaking in from Vanity Fair to try to make the church look like Vanity Fair. But what we have in this story is Christians who are part of the church going through Vanity Fair, which we've kind of attached ourselves to ecclesiology a little bit with our conversation about the you know the, what is it the house that is beautiful is that the name of it yeah so the house that is beautiful we kind of recognize is the church and Bunyan is not trying to communicate that Christians will ever leave the church or not be connected to the church right right but you just got to get what he's saying um when you're walking to the celestial city we're going to come across Vanity Fair and Vanity Fair is not a place to join ourselves to not a place to move to and dwell at and live there. Though there may be different attractions to it, different attractions according to the flesh. Have you ever been to New Orleans? No, but I really want to go because the World War II Museum is there, and I really want to go to that. I picture Vanity Fair being like New Orleans. They're in Mardi Gras. During Mardi Gras, which I've never been during Mardi Gras. I don't even know much about Mardi Gras. I've heard some stories, which lets me know I don't want to go. <laughs> but when you're down in down in um, Louisiana, they have uh, spring break like a month before everybody else does. And I think it's longer. I guess it's spring there a lot For Mardi Gras. <laughs> wow. For Mardi Gras. They wow. shut the whole state down for Mardi Gras. There's no question. So I picture... Vanity Fair looking a lot like Mardi Gras. Or no, Vanity Fair looking a lot like New Orleans. Now, what it looks like in real life doesn't matter because actually 
Bunyan would say that Vanity Fair is everywhere. Right. It's not confined to any specific city. But when we're Christians, um, the temptation is always to yeah. stop at the city that we're at, start looking more like it. So when you first read this, D2, what, what were your thoughts on this chapter? Yeah, this chapter, uh, the section on Vanity Fair, I think there were, I think the reason why it hits, uh, kind of why it hits harder is out of all his stops, I think that Vanity Fair looks the most, the most like our culture or American society today. Uh, we've got, and probably broader than America, but we've got basically every entertainment, every pleasure we could want at our fingertips. I mean, quite literally. Um, through smartphones, through entertainment, various modes and means of entertainment. Uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, uh, some of the things that Christian and... Uh, what is it? Uh, I forget. Is it faithful or hopeful at this point? So it's Christian and faithful. Yeah, Christian and faithful. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Christian and faithful. It's kind of like everything, so many things that they're going to kind of see or at Vanity Fair, the things, the, the enticements, the entertainments there. It's like that can all be accessible within three seconds in in your pocket. Like va- fake versions of them. Mm-hmm. but accessible nonetheless so this uh, I think that's why uh, this chapter kind of um, sits different as far as the other as far as the other stuff stops like uh, we're not primarily living in the uh, the town of civility um, where Mr. Morality is the the governor or whatever we are, and we talked about that kind of just kind of cultural Christianity, that, that sort of thing, but that's dying by the day. And, but the, I think the prevailing spirit of our age is, is more vanity fair for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the city of morality would probably look at this city in, as in disgust. Yeah, which absolutely. We've already absolutely. we've already talked about how that's no good, and that's you know that's in fact that makes the city of morality look even more dangerous because it looks right, it looks good, and it even shuns wickedness. So we've covered um, Henry Google's book, and he said that there's some carnal uh, religion that yeah. will do those things. They they yeah. they hate immorality. They hate Vanity Fair, but. Um, which makes them dangerous again. But when it comes to Vanity Fair, it's it's just letting it all hang out. It's it's there. It is what it is. And it's not going to try to hide what it has in it. Um, no, that that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, we're going to get into it, but why it mimics our culture or why it's indicative or descriptive of our culture today is... Um, it's complete, it's almost like complete freedom, end quote, I'm putting that in air quotes. But as soon as they speak out against it, not only speak out against it at first, but just don't, don't participate in it. Oh, all of a sudden, uh, they're, you know, all of a sudden to, to kind of frame it in our cultural terms, it's just like, oh, well, um, uh, that's, you know, that's. Uh, oppressive, you know, by just not participating in what the world's participating in. It's like, oh, well, you're clearly, um, uh, it's kind of like, oh, you're, you're oppressing us or you're not, now we got a problem. Right. It's not just that, oh, I'm, I'm free to do it, but, and you don't have to, and okay, that's fine. Just sit in our town or go through our town. But it's just like, no, if you don't join in with us, then uh they're then they're offended yep. and if you don't celebrate and join in with what they're doing then you are 
you know, again, in our cultural's term, our culture's terms, oppressive, uh, discriminatory, whatever. But ultimately, maybe I'm just straight up jumping ahead here. Ultimately, that's what unrighteousness does. Uh, ultimately, that's the the reaction to it. Um, when we're in our sin, just righteous people around us are uh, are offensive to us because it's a it's a it, it's a silent rebuke. It's a silent you know. It's a silent. I mean, just so many times I've seen this and experienced this from both ways. In fact, this is how uh, Peter writing in. Uh, I think it's First Peter three. Um, he's given instructions to husbands and wives, and he tells the wife of an unbelieving husband to win him without a word by her conduct and character toward him. It's kind of like that. Okay, uh, that that kind of in that same sense that a Christian and faithful going through Vanity Fair and said, "No, we're not going to partake in any of this," and like, "No, you need to." You need to do this, and we're like, no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, we're pilgrims passing through to the celestial city. Um, you know, Vanity Fair is not for us. Well, now all of a sudden, there's a problem, mm-hmm. and it's because ultimately, it's conviction is it's conviction is what it is. Uh, because there's they're suppressing the truth of God, and when there's someone in the midst that's not suppressing the truth of God. All of a sudden, then that's that's convicting. It grinds against. The, I mean, it it is working against their active suppression in a Romans one sense. And um, on and related to this, I've been reading a lot on biblical counseling because I'm taking that class right now. Uh, the, taking that certification training, and I've been uh, reading some evaluations of of Sigmund Freud. And right now I'm reading some non-Christian critiques of Freud. Um, so it's not even like, oh, this is Christian's problems with Freud. This is like post-Freud in the area of psychology and, and therapy. There, it's kind of like um, just the, the, the air quote soft science uh, critique of him. Uh and he he has something he actually has something that kind of talks about this now I'm no Freud expert I want to learn a lot more about him in fact I've um, got a, one of his biographies on my reading list like I'm very interested in this guy right now and um, but oversimplification his um, his psychological theory or whatever is based upon uh, something called the id, the superego, and then the ego. Uh, so you're, uh, and basically everyone's problems is uh, the superego's suppression of the id in, in kind of somebody's mind. So the superego is like what what we understand or what's commonly talked about now is like kind of cultural conditioning what your parents taught you, what your what the society around you, kind of the social norms and expectations. But that comes in conflict with the id, which for Freud is essentially uh, sexual desire and aggression. Like that's, from what I understand so far, that to me would be like the, like that's the flaw of Freud, is that he thinks in essence, um, again, no expert here, uh, but it seems it seems that he thinks in essence is like okay, your true self is basically just your sexuality and your aggression, and the super ego is suppressing that, and so you need in your in your ego, which means kind of like this. I actually don't know what it means. Um, I think it means that kind of your state of mind he seems to be saying like you can have more control over your ego but you need to use your ego 
or your, your I guess your consciousness to basically side with either the superego or the id. And basically he says you need to, once you unlearn the things that are suppressing your id, then that's going to resolve whatever guilt, whatever tension what is going on in your life. I go into all that because it's been very enlightening. Like this book was written in like the, uh, um, or the book that's introducing me to these things. And then I'm going to find my, you know, other sources and research and things like that was written in like the late, late sixties and seventies. But this book could have been written today. It's just like, Oh, there's so many things that there, there's, this is so applicable for today. It's like, nothing's changed. It's only developed in this area. And, you know, last 30, 40 years. And, um, w- there's a sense of that that's happening at Vanity Fair to bring it all back. And then I'll end my monologue. There's a sense of all that to bring it back to Vanity Fair. It's like, oh, this is our, this is our freest desires. This is our truest self. We could do whatever we want here at Vanity Fair. Um, by you going it, by you just not participating, not celebrating us in this. Um, that that's a cultural condition that we've knocked down or that we've rejected because it's suppressing what we actually really want. Put it in uh, a more accurate biblical understanding. Uh, it's a rejection of, uh, at its fundamental place, it's a rejection of God himself. And it's a rejection of God's common grace in our consciences. And... That's why it's convicting. That's why it can't be tolerated by Vanity Fair. That's why not celebrating and not participating isn't isn't toler- is becoming less tolerable. That's why Christians are becoming less tolerable in our society today. Yeah, because to to not participate in that is a legal indictment on them. If you think about it, you said common grace. Yeah, we're all in, in endued with or imbued with natural law, Romans chapter two, and what you're doing, what you're saying there is forget natural, forget any law, throw it all out the window. It's lawlessness, lawlessness. Go to a gay pride parade, lawlessness. So when you act according to the law, you're acknowledging that there is a law, exactly, and that yeah. you're acknowledging that there must right. be then a lawgiver, right? right. Well, they're not living according to the law. What does that mean for them? Right, right. Yeah, imagine... They know what it means for them. Right, imagine if, um, you know, you're playing a basketball game and everyone watching knows what the rules are supposed to be, but none of the players are playing in accordance to the rules. One, that wouldn't be entertaining at all. Um, But then there's this one guy or two guys one on each team that decide no we're going to play we're going to play according to the rules oh it i, I mean it would it would upset the whole thing especially I mean, especially if those two guys held the teams back uh oh you're holding us back oh for sure yeah yeah you're making it for worse sure. for us yeah speed yeah. on up which we hear that all the time get with the program you know you're going to yeah. get per, you're going to the the progressive wave is going to drown you you know you're going to get passed by, which that's so funny when right. But one, but, but my point in the basketball game isn't isn't just that. I'm going to let you go on, but it's also like it, everyone watching on knows what the rules are supposed to be, and they're knowing oh these these are the only two guys actually playing basketball, and uh, it's in looking like imagine being in the crowd. Those two guys are the only ones that uh, that are making any sense at all on the court. It's like they're the only ones shooting free throws. It's like, oh, that's why the free throw line is there. They're the only ones shooting three pointers. That's why the that's why the three point line is there. Uh, uh, they're the only ones that are that you can look at and make any sense of the game. Mm. Yeah, and and see too, thinking of Vanity Fair, um, evangelist at the beginning of this chapter gives them scriptural references to exhort them to continue on. Mm. Why does he have to do that? Mm. I mean, so, so most people that we know, even in their sin, won't go all the way to the gay pride parade and just 
indulge completely in right. nonsense. Right. right. But they still are attracted to the lust of this world. So evangelist has to exhort them using scripture to continue on. Why, do, why does he do that, though? He, he, he does that because these, we need warnings. Amen. As Amen. we go through Vanity Fair. So we're kind of going all, all the way to like the, like everything out the window, just rainbow hair and date five people of the same kind, kind of stuff. But the truth is, you know, the, the Christian man has to battle all sorts of temptations. As you're walking through Vanity Fair, there's the opportunity for lust because there's half-naked women everywhere who are seductive, which the book of Proverbs says they're trying to kill you, which is why they're doing that. They're seducing you to kill you. I think that's maybe Proverbs chapter 5 or 6. 7. 7. Yeah. And then you look on the other hand, and there's big job opportunities that you know that you're not supposed to have. Of, of course, a Christian will will kind of easily theologize his attraction to those job opportunities. Oh, well, I can help the kingdom out more this way. You know, you have all these jobs that are advertising themselves as, quote-unquote, ways that you can uh, help the kingdom out when the truth is they're trying to take your mind and your heart away from the Lord altogether and have you build your own kingdom in the video room. If you know that video I'm talking about, you don't because you no. laughed at it. Google that hilarious video. But building their kingdom in Vanity Fair. So there's 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 things all the way to the extreme where you can, you do in Vanity Fair have the opportunity to just let your id all the way. Just let it out all the way and just unleash your uh, complete sinful animal. But then there's little subtle areas, subtle corners on the street of Vanity Fair that aren't as extreme, but just as attractive, if not more attractive for, for certain people. The point is, as pilgrims heading to the celestial city, Bunyan would say, we must continue on. Yeah, I'll read the quote um, that Evangelist shares. So, He's, he, they meet up with evangelist and evangelist reads to them the scriptures, telling them, "Look, you're going to come up on stuff that's going to be very attractive. You cannot be seduced by these things." Real quick, I like how evangelist just pops out of nowhere. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, they look behind him, and here comes evangelist." Just yeah. like that. <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> yes, like okay, where where's this dude been? <laughs> yeah. Those parts in the movies, like, what, what, how did this happen? Yeah, an hour later, they've been on this journey, uh, through the movie or whatever. Three chapters later in the book, they've been on this journey walking or whatever, and then all of a sudden, Evangelist strolls up behind them. He's not even sweating. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, where, what? How do you get a pass of Pollyanna? You don't even have the armor on. Yeah. <laughs> so we give some Galatians six nine, First Corinthians, chapter nine, verse twenty four through twenty seven. Revelation 3.11, let no man take your crown. Um, then he quotes to them, you are not yet out of gunshot of the devil. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Then he gives them this quote before they're about to enter Vanity Fair. Let the kingdom be always before you and believe steadfastly concerning the things that are invisible. Let nothing that is on the side, uh, this, this side, the other world, get within you. And above all, look well to your own hearts. Uh, and above all, look well to your own hearts and to the lust thereof, for they are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Set your faces like a flint. You have all power in heaven and on earth on your side. In other words, look to the celestial city. Look to where you're going. Continue to believe. Do not lose the faith. Yeah. Because here's here's what's on the line here correct me if i'm wrong what's on the line is our salvation i mean we've um got so caught up in the the um, once saved always saved doctrine which is we don't have to go go on about how that 
is actually unclear. We get what it's saying, like a, a sheep will never become a goat. The Lord will never lose any of his. He will save his elect. They will persevere to the end. Um, so yes, indeed, to those things. But at the same time, too, we're called to persevere to the end. We're called to continue in the faith. And what we do when we get so caught up in, in the once saved, always saved doctrine um, we we start to look at every every warning passage as oh look this is just a warning of you losing your reward. No, actually, the truth is, if you stop and dwell in Vanity Fair because the lusts of the world have attracted you, you haven't just lost your reward, but you have proven that you do not have membership to the celestial city at all. As John says in yeah. his epistle, if they've gone, they've gone out from us because they were never among us. Right. They were never us. Yeah. So we're called to continue on as we pass through Vanity Fair and not stop, lest we prove that we were never belonging to the celestial city to begin with. Yeah. I think. I think what's what Bunya's picking up on here is uh Jesus teaching about laying up your treasures in heaven. Um Yeah, laying up your treasures in heaven, not here on this earth and uh I think Bunyan's making applications in all all sorts of different ways. Um a couple quotes from page 153 here. Um, one, it says that Vanity Fair was put here um, by uh, Apollyon and Beelzebub and Legion. And so uh, I think this is still, I think, yeah, I think this is uh, evangelist talking here. Yeah. So it's been put here basically by Satan himself as a as a distraction so that pilgrims along the way would just stay here instead of continuing on to to the celestial city. Yeah, Beelzebub and Apollyon and Legion with their companions perceiving by the path that uh, the pilgrims made that their way to the city lay through this town of vanity. They contrived here to set up a fair, a fair wherein should be sold all sorts of vanity and that it should last all the year long. Therefore, at this fair are all such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, uh, uh, perfumes, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts. Wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, at this fair, there is all times to be seen juggling, cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Uh here to be seen too, and that for nothing, thefts, murders, adulteries, false swears, and that of all, uh, and that of a blood red cover, or color. Um, and so, just the description of um, any, so prosperity, any goods, prosperity, um, any entertainments, uh, even. Uh, even immorality here and is described is described as a place of like uh and, and a thing of enticement as well when he's talking about juggling cheats games played fools apes etc 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 even thefts murders adulteries false squares all of all of that stuff <clears throat> and then what does he say uh what does evangelists go on to say before they enter in. He says, Now, as I said, the way to the celestial city lies just through this town where this lusty fair is kept. And he that will go to the city and yet not go through this town must needs go out of the world. 
he's saying there's no uh, uh, the way to the celestial city is through this world. Uh, you you must go through this world to the celestial city. There's there's to not go through this city would be to to go out of this world. There's there's um, yeah. There's one way. This is on the path. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to continue to go through it. You can't yeah. stop in it. Yeah. And you you mentioned this earlier. Um, we've talked about it a lot earlier, but the reasons why. So they're they're going through Vanity Fair, and you realize that you know if you don't let's let's put it in today's terms, if you don't put the rainbow on, you're going to get burned. Rainbow or burn type thing. Oh, I mean, I mean, we're seeing that exact. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. I mean, we've how many times have we seen people at this point um, get prosecuted? I mean, get taken to court for what's being called quote air quotes again hate crimes now. And and um, I'm all for treating people with with respect. Um, you know, obviously, I have a moral opposition uh, based upon uh, the law of God, the character and nature of God, what he's revealed against, um, uh, anything that he would call sin. Even in my own life, even in my own life, I've got an opposition to it. Uh, we've been talking throughout Pilgrim's Progress about the need to war against sin. We're even talking about that now. How do we not lay up our treasures in Vanity Fair, how do we not get distracted by its enticements and enter into this lusty place, as uh, as Evangelist puts it here? Um, but these people, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, they can be mistreated. I'm not saying that, oh, if if someone's um, homosexual or transgender or something like that, they should be able to be mistreated. I'm not. I'm not. Neither one of us are saying that. Neither one of us are saying that true hate crimes, true hate crimes, should be permissible. But we're living in a day where disagreeing or living other living in opposition to their new definitions of morality is being considered a hate crime. I mean, we're seeing uh, people not even just on those issues losing their jobs. Uh, but we're seeing people lose jobs over. I saw two interviews this week of people who have lost jobs over uh, not taking the shot, the COVID vaccine. Uh, it's a good thing we don't make money off this podcast because we would just be demonetized right now. <laughs> uh, but losing, it's like no, we're we're just not going to go with the cultural flow, and people are losing their people are losing their jobs. I mean. Wave the uh, flag repeat, or get yeah. burned. Yeah, yeah. Toe toe the line. Go with the flow. Where there's gonna be there's gonna be consequences. Yeah, it's it's pure naivety yeah. for any Christian to say, "Look, I, I'm just gonna let them do them. They're not gonna bother me." Nope. No, that nope. that's naivety. That's yep. not true at all. They, if you are a Christian at all, they will notice you. Vanity Fair will ner- notice you. They will try you. They will give you an unfair trial, and you'll either burn or you'll be able to pass through. Yeah, and you don't, and you don't have to. All you have to do is be a Christian. Yeah, that's, that's all. That's what it's becoming. It's not like, oh, I'm a Christian, and you know, it's not like you have to go. It's not even the Christians who are really evangel. Like, let's say you go street preach at a pride parade or something. It's not even just those those Christians it was like oh well, you were outspoken against this it's like no nah, that's that's not all who they're coming after it's just the Christian who's going to say no nah, that's that's not the way I live that's not what I'm going to support and they're just going to their job every day yep. they're going to their church every week they're raising their kids um, and the they're raising their kids in light of the Lord, they're raising their kids in the nurture and ab- admonition of the Lord, and that is offensive 
Yes. Uh, because um, because the darkness hates the light. Yeah. Bunyan gives uh, three reasons why evangelist, or yeah. So at this point, it's pilgrim and it's faithful walking through Vanity Fair. And he gives three reasons why they were noticed and why they were hated. Um, he says, now these pilgrims, as I said, must needs go through this fair. Well, so they did. But behold, even as they entered into the fair, all the people in the fair were moved in the town itself, as it were, in a hubbub about them. And that for several reasons. Love hubbub. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring we that. Gotta, yeah, we got to bring yeah, it back. Let's bring that word back. Number one, the pilgrims were clothed with such a kind of raiment as was diverse from the raiment of any that traded in that fair. The people, therefore, the fair made a great gazing upon them. Some said they were fools. Some said that they were bedlams. And some said they were outlandish men. Secondly, as they wandered at their, wondered at their apparel, so they did likewise at their speech, for, they, for few could understand what they said. They naturally spoke the language of Canaan, but they that kept the fair were the men of this world. So that from one end of the fair to the other, they seemed barbarians each to the other. Thirdly, but that which did not a little amuse the merchandisers was that these pilgrims set very light by all their wares. They cared not so much as to look upon them. And if they called upon them to buy, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, Turn away mine ears from beholding vanity. And look upward, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. So three reasons why the citizens of Vanity Fair hated these pilgrims. Because the clothes they wore, the words they spoke, and their lack of desire to buy anything from Vanity Fair. That just, again, as you're saying, that describes the Christian. There's no way out of this. Christians are clothed with the pure, unblemished, white garments that is the righteousness of Christ. We've been regenerated, so our speech is not the same. And also, we don't care about the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the, the material things. We're not aiming to store up our treasures in heaven as, as our Lord has commanded us to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Those are just givens. Like These are the fundamentals of Christianity. These are who we yeah. are. Um, they don't hate us, as you said, because of what we may choose to do, though they do hate us for what we do. They hate us for who we are. Yeah. And you can't change who you are as a Christian. You just cannot. Right, right. Um, so I know that you're having to leave in the next few minutes, but to— uh, I'm good. You are? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're not— I Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, okay. So then we don't have to speed ahead, but— they notice these men, and they snatch them up, they take offense to them, and they take them to their court, and then they, they try them. They're, they're bringing them to the, to the judge and the jury, and I thought it was funny, the names that um, Bunyan, I keep almost saying Bavink, the names that... <laughs> The names that Bunyan gives to these men that are that are about to try him. So the judge's name was Lord Hategood. Hey, real quick, real quick, uh, before we before we go there, I love this line. Uh, One chanced mockingly, beholding the carriage of the men, to say unto them, "What will ye buy?" But they, looking gravely upon him, answered, "We buy the truth." Mm. That. That needs to be on a T-shirt or something. Yeah, we buy the truth, uh, and that's all. That's all it took. That's all it took, and that that's what sparked the, um, that's what sparked the hubbub, uh, that began to stir in the fair, so much so, uh, that basically they that's when they took them into examination and brought them before. Uh, the head of the fair. But we, that I mean, I just love that line. What? We, come on, what? You? They're not enticed by anything. They're throwing everything they got at them. Come on, come this way, go that way, come this way, come. You know, 
you know, buy this, partake in this, do this. And they're like, what, well, what is it that you want? What will you buy? We've got to have something here that will entice you. And they just said, we buy the truth. And that comes from Proverbs 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Oh, that's, that's so good. That you can become an ally with the world if you choose, but you must sell the truth to do so. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just a, that's such a good line. Another quick aside in the, in the pilgrims, uh, in the, Pilgrim's Progress, A Poetic Journey by Reftunes. Uh, the picture for this page in Vanity Fair. Uh, what I like about this book is that uh, the Reftunes guy and his wife, uh, Paul, I'm, uh, I'm forgetting her name right now, so sorry. Uh, I actually know them, and so I'm, this is ridiculous that I can't remember her name right now. But they, they keep chickens. And so a little Easter egg in the book is that there's always chickens going along with Christian and uh, not right now faithful uh, throughout the book. So there's two little chickens on this page. And they're looking around at Vanity Fair and they're picturing all this kind of happening. And over to the side, uh, you see this one chicken looking like just so appalled. And you realize what this chicken's looking at, and there's some fried chicken over a fire. <laughs> some fried chicken over a fire in a booth that one of the the booths are selling at Vanity Fair. This chicken is so appalled. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, but we, but we, we buy the truth. So good. Hey, qu- real quick, I, th- I think there is a prayer meeting today. Oh, yeah? He said he's out October 6th and November 17th. I think I just saw him walk by. We still have a few minutes, though. Oh, okay, okay. I want to get to this point. Um, They tried them, and we're not going to have time to cover all of this. The listener must get Pilgrim's Progress and at least read this chapter. Read the whole book. Read this chapter and read the... They gotta. The, they gotta read the whole book. Yeah, read the they whole can't book. Just, they can't just read this chapter. But, it won't be as meaningful. But I'm wanting to make the point that Faithful's defense of himself is... It is laser eyes. He's going off. So I want to get to this. So um, they're they're under trial. Yes, they're under trial, and they're under trial by the judge. Hate good, and there's several different uh, people in the jury that are they're given names such as envy, superstition, pick think, um, pick think. There's another another one. That's something we need to bring back. Um, so they bring these issues up against faithful and Christian, and they're not issues at all. In fact, they're, again, fundamentals of Christianity. The world just hates it. But then faithful began to answer, um, and he began to answer, and he says this, And as to the king you speak of, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of our Lord, I defy him and all his angels. Mm. So does he, you know, does he try to be winsome? Oh, you know, I don't, I just think he's kind of, I'm not, I don't have any issue with Beelzebub. I'm just saying that I serve the Lord. No, we, since he is against our Lord, we just respectfully want to say this. We defy him and right. all of his angels respectfully. Right. Then he goes on. The proclamation was made. Um, they, they make them prisoners and things. And again, uh, a few different people come up and they they share a testimony of all the crimes quote unquote that faithful and, and Christian um made which just for being Christians faithful gives to is able to answer these men so Mr. Envy, Mr. Superstition, and Mr. Pickthink give a testimony against him. And then Faithful is going to give three defenses, one for Envy, one for Superstition, and one for Pickthink. For for Envy, he makes his defense. I never said anything but this, but that what rule or law or customs or people were flat against the Word of God are diametrically opposite to Christianity. Yet again, with, with all due respect, sir. Mm. 
If I've said amiss in this, convince me of my error, and I'm ready here before you to make my recantation. Against superstition, he said this. I said only this, that in the worship of God there is required a divine faith, but there can be no divine faith without a divine revelation of the will of God. Therefore, whatever is thrust into the worship of God that is not agreeable to divine revelation cannot be done but by human faith, which faith will not be profitable to eternal life. Which, again, Vanity Fair doesn't always look like the extreme lust of the world. Sometimes right. it looks like the false worship of our day. Right, right. Faithful could not go along with with the worship of so many churches we see even in our own city. He, he couldn't do it. That was considered Vanity Fair, superstition. Yeah, church, churches who have embraced Vanity Fair. Yes. Which, those would be false churches. Yes. So he's saying, yeah, because so oftentimes the the court of public opinion, well, this is what happened with the, uh, um, I know you're trying to progress through this, but oh, this, is, good. this is what happened with the, um, like the recent, what was it, NBC or whatever piece on, on Doug Wilson and oh, what's going yeah. on in Moscow. Oh, that was amazing. And, uh, and... Um, who, which kind of Christians or pastors did they get to speak out against him? It was the, they're all women. It was the feminist universalist, like Unitarian pastors of the, of the town of Moscow. It's just like, okay, well that's not even like, those aren't even real churches. Those aren't even real Christians. So <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. that's literally like a, a prime example of Vanity Fair. What's going on? And and Vanity Fair offering testimonies against right, you know, right. Faithful. So it's, it, it's say, well, hey, these churches, these Christians can partake in Vanity Fair. Why can't you? Yeah, There's, and that's exactly <laughs> what they're saying. <laughs> faithful is like, ah, sorry. Yeah. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you look and speak the way that you speak and look? I yeah. mean, look at all these other people who have given into this. Yeah, yeah. And Doug Wilson says, divine faith, divine revelation of the will of God. Pickthink gives his testimony against faithful. Faithful gives his defense against Pickthink. I say, avoiding terms as that I am said to rail and the like, that the prince of this town with all the rabblement his attendants by this gentleman named are more fit for a being in hell than in this town and country. So the Lord have mercy upon me. Faithful doesn't beat around the bush. Not only does he not beat around a bush, faithful is he's he's he buying truth. We buy truth. Can't get around it. Anything less than what faithful is saying is a lie. You get yeah. straight to the point. Anything outside of the word of God is false. And we deny and reject anything outside of the word of God and things that are flat against the word of God. Any worship of God that is according to human faith, according to human power, and thus drawn up by human contravances, we reject because worship is uh, a divine ordination that we are to do uh, required by a divine faith with a divine revelation. And then number three, oh, by the way, let's just let the whole building burn down. The prince of this town is due for hell. Now, do the people of Vanity Fair give him a round of applause? What is the result of faithful here? If you're if you're listening to this and you don't have the book, you can just simply Google um, "faithful in Vanity Fair," and the first thing that's going to pop up is "faithful at the stake, being burned alive." But glory to God for faithful's death. They therefore brought him out to do with him according to their law, and first they scour- scourged him. Then they buffeted him. Then they lanced his flesh with knives. After that, they stoned him with stones. Then pricked him with their swords. And last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus came faithful to his end. 
Then there's a song that was sung about faithful at the end of this chapter. Well, faithful, thou hast faithfully professed unto thy Lord with whom thou shalt be blessed. When faithless ones with all their vain delights are crying out under their hellish plights, sing, faithful, sing, and let thy name survive. For though they killed thee, thou art yet alive. Laser eyes. Bang, bang. So good. Uh, yeah, he was ultimately judged, uh, prosecuted, judged, and convicted according to their laws, the laws of Vanity Fair. Laws that Faithful specifically specifically said uh, that what rule or laws or customs or people were flat against the word of God are diametrically opposite to Christianity. If I have said amiss in this, convince me of my error and I am ready here before you to make my recantation. So look, your laws, your people um, are flat against the word of God or are diametrically opposite to Christianity. Mm. Um, so the people of Vanity Fair judged according to their own laws that are diamet- diametrically opposed to uh, the standard of righteousness that Faithful was living by, that Faithful was faithful to um, and proclaiming to them and willing to um, be wrongfully uh, you know, wrongfully judged and and uh, persecuted by. What a good chapter. But, yeah, praise God that he, you know, the Lord has the last word. Yes. For though they killed thee, thou art yet alive. Awesome. I mean... Yeah, that that is that's not my favorite chapter actually. Uh we're coming up on our favorite chapter on my favorite chapter though. Uh but yeah, that's definitely one of the the highlight chapters of the yeah. book. Yeah. For first time I first time I read that um and I kind of this is one of the chapters I kind of hate to give the spoiler of you know what happens to what happens to faithful. I mean we we already gave everything away. But man, and just reading the book, reading the narrative, I mean, this is one of the areas of the book. First time reading it through, I just, you know, I didn't I, I didn't cry in this book, but they're definitely emotional. I got emotional yeah. about about faithful for this sure. This is one of those places. For sure. Yeah, the Christian's call to be faithful as he walks through the city of Vanity Fair. You speaking of being faithful, you got a prayer meeting you gotta get to. Yeah, I'm trying to be Yeah. Trying to be faithful with that. Well, gotta end the prod- podcast and go pray. What what a sh- <laughs> what a shame! <laughs> what a shame! We have to cut it short for prayer. What what a, what a slacker! Yeah. Well, that's what we got. CD D two coming at you, recorded and direct from the classic cast where we just rolled. With it.